Hi, this is Gail with Experiences You Should Have, your how-to guide for amazing experiences. Now imagine that you are at the top of a waterfall. The water is gushing. You can see the water rapidly churning over the side of a cliff. But instead of turning around to go back to your car, you then decide to figure out how to get over the waterfall. And the waterfall is not a stopping point, but essentially you are now going to repel down a waterfall. That's right, folks. Today we are talking about an amazing topic called canyoneering or waterfall repelling, which is a part of canyoneering. And today we are talking with Joshua Lambis. I met Josh in Kona, Hawaii, and he is there on the big island. And he is an amazing photographer, adventurer. Um, He's been published in many magazines, such as like National Geographic, And his photography has won numerous awards, and you can even find some of his work um, in museums around the world, including the Smithsonian. So that's right. We have a full-on amazing adventurer here with us today, Joshua Lambus. You should also check out his photography and what he's up to on jlambus.com. So J-L-A-M-B-U-S.com, and there will also be a link in the show notes on experiencesyoushouldhave.com. Just click on episodes. So let's hear it for Joshua Lambus with Canyoneering. So we are here with Joshua Lambus, who is a very famous photographer and uh, diver, and he's also a skydiver. He does pretty much everything that's cool. And uh, today we're talking about rappelling down waterfalls. Welcome, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. So, so waterfall repelling is is this the same as canyoning or yeah. canyoneering? Yeah, that's actually probably a, a more appropriate term is uh, oh. canyoneering or canyoning. Yeah, depending on what part of the world you're in, they say it differently. So, which parts of the world say say what? That's a good question. I don't know. I hang out with a lot of people from all the parts, so I think <laughs> that's all kind of uh, blending in. Uh, but yeah, I suppose the main difference between canyoning and rappelling is that rappelling is just the act of going down a rope or, or abseiling, mm-hmm. as where canyoning really implies more that you are entering a canyon um, and you will be using rappelling um, during your, your time canyoning. But you also jump off of waterfalls. You may scramble down or just kind of climb down. Um, but yeah, the rappelling is definitely a big part of our, our being able to access these places. So cool. Uh, this is something I absolutely have to do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what's what's your best experience? I, take me through actually going through the process of canyoning or rappelling down a waterfall. Yeah. Um, best experience. You know, it's it's tough because that's the beauty of canyoning is that every 
canyon is different and, and um, each one has different features that um, are either beautiful or exciting or even challenging having to create some sort of problem solving in the canyon to be able to um, get through it um, and and a lot of times the reasons that people go into canyons are are quite varied mm-hmm. um, and so personally I started getting into them uh, because I'm a slackliner uh, cool. which is you know walking on webbing between two trees uh, but we oftentimes like to take slacklining up high which we call highlining um, and then we're walking across canyons and things like that and so um, here in Hawaii, uh, to get to some of these places is quite difficult, and that's kind of what brought me into canyoneering was looking for places I could highline, um, and then inadvertently I kind of found this whole other sport that I didn't, I didn't know the accolades of. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for thinking that this was going to be so cool. I thought it was just going to be a means to an end to get to a place where we could slackline, um, but now we now we do many canyons um, regardless of the slacklining. So. Um, best experience though. Yeah. Um, hmm, that is tough. Um, there, there are a couple that kind of stick out in my, my mind. Um, there was one that I did, uh, probably five years ago here. Um, and the thing about canyoning, especially here in Hawaii. So there, there are places that you can canyon that have, that have set anchors that people have built, um, you know, they run tours, things like that. But a lot of what we're doing is actually exploratory canyoneering. So so we actually don't know what the canyon is going to look like before we enter it. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So we'll, we'll look at maps. Uh, you know, we look at topo maps. We look at satellite images um, to try to get the best possible beta, um, you know, information before we enter um, to make sure that we're prepared with the gear um, and all that. Uh, but a lot of times we just don't know. Um, what it's going to be like. And so this particular canyon, um, about five years ago, uh, we got into a spot that on the satellite map just was kind of like a little black dot. You know, it's basically where the shade and the shadow um, doesn't allow you to see um, into those very steep walls. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> and so, so as we, you know, get over to, up to this edge, as we walk up to this edge, um, we find ourselves at the top of a um, little over 400 feet of exposure, uh-huh. um, which was uh, exactly how much rope we brought. So that was Ooh. good. <laughs> that we didn't get in over our heads there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, just the dropping that, it was a two-tiered waterfall. Um, each one, I think the first one was like 180 feet and the second one was um, 200 feet uh, with a small section of ledge in between the two. So, so from the top to the, all the way to the bottom of the second one was 400 feet. Um, and it was just beautiful. Um, it was just absolutely breathtaking. Um, and at that time I had never been on exposure that quite that large. Um, that, that was the, the largest, uh, rappel I had done at that point. So. Wow. Okay. So you're next to the waterfall. Like how, like, can you feel the waterfall? Yeah. How close are you? (laughs) Yeah. So it, it depends. Um, you know, basically what we're doing uh, with, with canyoning is we're just walking down the canyon. We're just, we, we, we enter somewhere up the canyon at the top, um, and then we're looking to exit down beneath somewhere. You know, we're going we're gonna to crush elevation, we're going to move down, um, and then come out somewhere. Um, we have to retrieve our ropes because we have to continue with them. Um, so we use a retrieval setup at the top. Um, we create an anchor that we can actually pull down once we've rappelled down. Um, and then there's 
walking along the banks or a lot of times if it's too steep and it's a lot of water, we might have to actually swim through large sections of the canyon. Uh Um, And then we come to places where the elevation drops quite abruptly. And so um, if if we're able to, a lot of times we'll walk around um, any sort of um, obstruction or or big drop, but a lot of times there's just no way around because of how steep they are um, on, on either side. And that's where the ropes come in. That's where we're going to stop. We're going to kind of take a look at what we need to do, create an anchor, um, and then rappel down. And so sometimes if we're, if we're lucky, we would prefer to rappel probably by the side of a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not actually in the water. Um, that way, you know, you're able to kind of see your gear, see your hands, uh, you're maybe a little more dry, although once you've entered a canyon, you're probably not going to be dry for several hours. Um, and so sometimes just because of the, the way the, the water has flowed and carved the canyon, there really is no other way other than right down through the middle of the waterfall. Um, wow. A lot of times we prefer not to do it that way because if we, when we retrieve our rope, if the rope is falling down through water, it has the chance of becoming lodged um, in, a, in a crack or a crevice, uh-huh. um, essentially getting our rope stuck. And um, th- that's one of the dangers in canyoning is that you really are relying on this gear. And so if you have to leave gear behind, if it gets stuck, um, sometimes we'll come back and retrieve it um, if possible um, later, you know, at a later date. But that day, as you're trying to traverse the canyon you you really have to have and you want to take all that gear with you so um if you get a rope stuck you might run into down at the next drop not having enough rope to make a full drop to the bottom so and you were trying to avoid that at all costs wow Wow. (laughs) yes so have you been in a sticky situation um we have run into a couple of sticky situations yeah um and that's where uh, really having skills and, and knowledge, um, especially rigging knowledge. And so, so being able to create anchors, uh, like I mentioned that we use self retrievable anchors. Mm-hmm. And so typically what that requires is, um, a small piece of webbing, um, at the top around something like a rock or a tree, um, that has a, a chain link or a, what we call a repelling ring. It's just a smooth metal ring. Um, that stays on that piece of webbing. Uh Um, And then we run a length of rope that's double the height. It's basically twice as long as the height of the the drop that we're doing. So if we're doing a 100-foot drop, you need 200 feet of rope. Um, And you create some sort of block, either using a carabiner or a knot, so that you can rappel down one side of the rope, um, and that'll hold you. And then once you're at the bottom, you can pull on the other side of the rope and, and pull the rope down. Got it. Yeah. So that's meaning that if it, to do that type of system, uh, we have to have twice as much rope um, as every drop we do. We can also use something called a tagline. Um, so this isn't something that you would rappel down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would only be for retrieval. So it would be something that you would tie at the top. So if you have a 200-foot rope and a 200-foot tagline, uh, you, could, you could conceivably rappel a 200-foot drop. So... Um, what if you got to an area and you didn't have enough rope? What do you so, do? <laughs> so typically that's never going to happen. Okay. Uh, you know, our, our idea is with all of that planning and beta, you know, we're not just 
you don't just run into a canyon, <laughs> right, you know, okay. without yeah. any sort of foreknowledge of it. Uh, you really want to do as much research as possible. Talk to other people in the area maybe that have done canyons. Most canyons in the world, like Utah, Arizona, um, Colorado, they're really, really, um, they've been ran a lot. There's a lot of information on them. There's whole books you can buy about, you know, where, what, how, how long the canyon is, how far each drop is, what the best time of year to run it is, what the water level should look like, um, whether or not there are permanent anchors that have been installed or you, what gear you'll need. And so most of the time when you're running a canyon, uh, you won't run into a, the problem of not having enough rope. Uh, in this exploratory canyoneering, uh, that's where really knowing how to read topography maps and having a pretty good sense of what, what topography looks like um, as far as like how quickly it's going to drop and how long those drops might be. Um, that, that's where just having done it enough times, starting in, you know, sort of less dangerous canyons, maybe ones that are less steep on the sides that you can crawl out of or that you're able to sort of crawl around um, the drop um, is useful. And so as you do more repels, you gain better understanding of what a map looks like to what the actual topography is going to look like when you're in there. Got it. Now, how now, do you feel when you do this? Like what's so, going through your head when you're going down the side of a cliff next to a waterfall? Yeah. Um, you know, when you first start, um, almost everyone I've ever taken into a canyon for the first time, uh, they all come with a little bit of uh, not really knowing what it's going to be like um, or what to experience. And the first time you get to a drop um, and you look over that edge, uh, especially when you get into the bigger drops, 100 foot, 150, uh, if you haven't done a drop like that before, there's a moment of, wait a minute, we can't do this. <laughs> like, this is crazy. <laughs> we, we're just, how are we supposed to go down that? Because I think too, so often um, in a lot of things like, like rappelling or uh, people do walk to the top of waterfalls, but that tends to be as far as they go. You know, if you're, if you're just going to a place, sightseeing, you walk up to a waterfall, you look over it, you go, oh, that's pretty. And then you turn around and go back to the car. But uh -huh. with canyoning, you're, you're stepping over that edge. You're going, nope, we're going to go down it now. And so really the edge there is just the beginning of, of what you're actually doing. And so once people realize they're going to go down that, there's this moment of how is this even possible? Yeah. Um, now, as you've done it a few times, you start to trust the gear. And that's really where all this comes down to is knowing your gear and, and really trusting it and knowing that it's made for this. It's, you know, ropes are far stronger than any sort of force that you can put on it. Um, and as long as you're keeping up with your gear, um, you know, you're not using used or compromised equipment, uh, you, it really is pretty safe. So, yeah. So I think uh, initially there's sort of this, this is impossible. Mm -hmm. And then once you start using the gear um, and, and being able to move into these places, into a dimension that we're not used to moving, you know, we're very two-dimensional um, beings, you know, we, we walk, we drive in two dimensions. But once you start getting into things like scuba diving and skydiving and, yeah. and rappelling, you suddenly you've added this dimension um, that, that you haven't been able to experience before. And it really changes your perception. Now, when I walk up to a waterfall, I don't think this is impossible. I, I first thing I think is, hmm, where's my anchor at? Uh -huh. Where am I going <laughs> to, where am I going to yeah. set the rope? You know, how, how could we do this? Um, as opposed to thinking, can we do this? So, um, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a shift that happens 
uh, in your thinking from when you begin to when you start to get into it. Now, what about just in your everyday life? Has has like seeing these new possibilities and new dimensions kind of changed how you just see the world in general or or new ideas or endeavors that you take part in? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do like to think that, um, you know, and I don't want to sound too existential, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, once you've sort of broken these boundaries of um, what's possible, uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, with some of these experiences, you start to do them before you knew that they were really possible. Like, you know, where there's a, a canyon here where um, as you're rappelling down it, um, it actually ends up repelling you down into a cave, into a lava tube that goes underground with the waterfall. So it's you and the waterfall falling into this this underground cave. Wow. Which, which then empties out into a river underground. And then you swim through this river to pop back out into the jungle, um, back onto the banks of the river. And, you know, when you first incredible. do that. Yeah. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And when you first do that, like, you know, my first time doing that one, I didn't realize that experience was even possible until I was doing it. And so I think that is something that these kinds of things teach us is that there are things you don't even know that you don't know about. Right. And so, um, so that has opened my mind up a little bit to, to maybe seek them out, you know, maybe look for them a little more. And uh, when, when someone tells you this is the edge, think, well, is it the edge or is this the beginning? Ah, there's, there's, that's there's a good quote. To it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't take credit. That was um, uh, Steph Davis and uh, Mario out in Utah. I think that was theirs. Uh, the edge is just the beginning. Oh, very uh, cool. I feel like that, that always, could be on a greeting card or something. Yeah. Uh, it's a, something that always has resonated with me. And as I move through these sports, it's, uh, it's definitely something that keeps coming back. I love that. All right. I think I'm, I might put that on my wall and uh, yeah. attribute it to them. Yeah. So, okay. If you want to get into canyoning or canyoneering, where would be the best place to start? Um, yeah. So, so this is definitely something that, uh, you know, shouldn't just be learned from YouTube videos or, you know, things like that. There's, um, there's a whole subset of knowledge um, leading into this. Uh, and that's, you know, anchor building, um, not tying, just understanding ropes and how to use them. Um, and so experience, um, experience guides and experience friends um, that can take you on some of these smaller trips uh, to build your knowledge is definitely the way to go. Um, there are many, many, many places um, that provide canyoning classes um, okay. and certifica certifications. There are several certifications. Um, there's a few professional certifications, which are actually really useful, even if you don't plan to be a professional mountain guide, um, mm -hmm. just because it does give you a higher level of information. It's kind of like with scuba diving. Dive right. Master is actually a really great level of certification. You don't need it to go scuba diving, but no. the amount of knowledge that, you're, that you continue, you actually enjoy this. Um, these sports more because you have that higher level of knowledge. Yeah. I became a DM and it was, yeah, really just to, to learn more and uh, learn more of the physics behind it and be able to lead a group if, yeah. if needed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's uh, all kinds of certifications. Um, ACA, uh, what is that? I think it's the American Camping Association. Um, they have several 
canyoneering certifications, everything from recreational all the way up to like professional mountain guide. Um, and, and they do, they're all over the place. So um, if that was like something you Googled ACA um, or even like um, TAS and, or the SPRAT certifications, uh, mm-hmm. SPRAT's a little bit more for professional, like commercial, if you, if, if OSHA needed you to be certified for this kind of stuff. Um, but you know, you can Google that stuff, you can find it. Um, and there's probably a place nearby, um, even REI, which they're all over the place these days. Um, even REI has some, some repelling courses. And so having, so getting professional knowledge and instruction is definitely a great way to go. Um, if you're lucky enough to have some friends that are into this already, um, that's also a great place to start too. So. And you mentioned a few places earlier, um, Mm -hmm like Utah and that sort of thing. But what would you say are just the top places in the world to, to go canyoneering? Oh, um, in the world, uh, New Zealand is really up there. There's some really, really beautiful stuff out there. Um, I personally have not had a chance to make it out there, but friends who I do canyoning with here um, have spent years um, actually living there and have not seen everything there is to see. Um, and they're seeking out canyons there. Uh, Utah is definitely known. It's just, I mean, that is full on canyon lands. Um, Colorado, um, they do have, and they have a lot of really great uh, beginning canyons, um, kind of smaller stuff uh, that people can get into. Um, Arizona, Zion National Park actually has uh, a lot of a lot of beta and information. And so it's definitely a good idea to go somewhere where people do this a lot. Um, because then they've, they've been able to grade the canyons and tell you um, whether or not this is a beginning, you know, moderate or expert. And so you're not getting into something that, that is beyond your skill level. Um, but here, Hawaii too. Hawaii actually um, has recently, it's more of a, a recent thing here, but there are several companies that have just started here um, that are taking beginners canyoning. Are there any companies you would recommend in Hawaii? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, a, there's a few. Uh, probably the biggest company here um, in Hawaii is on Maui. They're called Rappel Maui. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple friends that work for them, uh, and they do a really good job. And this stuff is uh, pretty low impact. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff we're doing with exploratory canyoneering, <laughs> we're talking like eight to 12 hours in the canyon. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so long days. But these guys, they've set up uh, more sort of, tourist friendly you know we we are a big tourist community uh people like to come out here and try things but not be in over their heads and so um so they they, i think their trips run like uh like two hours long you know um and they tend to be a lot more um what's the word kind of manicured so they've removed a lot of the danger uh that we find in uh with like unstable rock and and freshly fell in fallen logs things like that so uh, Rappel Maui has been doing it for quite a while. I want to say like 20 plus years. I'm not 100% sure of that. Um, but they've only recently really exploded with the number of people who have started to seek this out um, and come do it. Um, and then here on the Big Island, um, a few companies have popped up recently. Uh-huh. Um, a good friend of mine, Jesse Smalling, just started a company named Slack High, um, uh-huh. H-I, like Hawaii. Cool. And uh, it, they basically, he takes people on like slacklining adventure slash repelling adventure um, weekends, but it's, those are more like a um, two to three day adventure. Um, he, he works with a uh, Kalani Apia Falls 
uh, it's a retreat center on the Hilo side um, that has these beautiful sections of uh, the river of the Wailuku there um, that are repellable, that are, are, that are absailable, yeah. Very cool. Now, if, if you went on like a, kind of like a beginner, like a tourist uh, tour or a weekend, do you need to have prior skills to be able to, to do that? No, absolutely not. Um, and so, you know, they do have some small prerequisites. I, I think the main thing is more um, medical waiver. And because you are in the water, they like you to know how to swim, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. But, uh, but you never have to have repelled before. And so they, they start you on a bunny hill, um, which isn't even a straight drop. You're, you're not free hanging or anything like that. You're really just kind of backing yourself down, getting used to the equipment, um, it's reminding yourself that this gear works and <laughs> starting right. to build, build trust with the gear. Um, and so they take you through a couple of those smaller bunny hills before they actually take you over to the river uh, by the waterfall and send you down, down along the side of the waterfall. Cool. Very cool. Now, okay. What would be like the average cost for like a, like a tourist, like few hour? Yeah. Yeah, um, they start around like around $150 or so. Uh-huh. Uh, and it does depend on which company you're going with. Um, Kalania Pia, again, like that, that trip and with, with like Slack High, those are multi-day excursions. So you actually can't get access to their waterfalls uh, without staying at the retreat center. So that ends up oh, wow. being a little more uh, costly. But it comes with, you know, being on this beautiful property. They have all these amazing little yurts along the river there. Um, you know, you can go paddle boarding in the, at the base of the waterfall and they have a private chef and all that. And so those tend to start closer to around a thousand dollars for a couple of days, but that includes accommodations as well as these activities. Now, how far would you be hiking on one of these like multi-day adventures? Um, now with the multi-day adventures, it's actually not very far from the place you're, you're staying at. So, um, Slack high, I know his setup is you stay in one of these, um, these bungalows right by the river. Um, and so you actually don't have to go anywhere. You could stay at the bungalow the entire weekend if you wanted. Uh, but then when you do want to go do this rappel, they set it up and it's not very far. I mean, it's only like 200 yards to get to the river. Um, and then you're down in the river. Um, you cover about a mile and a half. Um, but when you're talking about canyoneering, um, distance is very, uh, very different. You know, um, it might take you several hours just to move several hundred feet um, oh. because you're not always talking about horizontal distance. A lot of times we're talking about vertical distance. Um, and so setting everybody up at the top of the rappel, sending them down, making sure they're off safely before the next person gets set up on it. Um, yeah, each person adds time to each rappel. So mm -hmm. um, a, mi a mile in a canyon can take you three plus hours to get through. So Got it. Got it. Yeah. Now, if you actually want to get into this and be serious about it, uh, what type of equipment do you need to buy? Uh, are you wearing a wetsuit? And what's the cost of this type of equipment? Yeah, it's, um, it's actually not very expensive. Um, mm -hmm. pr probably the most expensive parts of uh, canyoneering are ropes. Um, because the ropes that you want are of extremely high quality. Um, they're really made for canyoneering, you do get what you pay for. Um, okay. You know, the more expensive a rope, 
typically the, the easier it is to work with, uh, whether that means the hand of the rope, like how, how easily it coils, um, how much water it absorbs. Uh-huh. You know, two, two ropes of the same size and strength, uh, but one that's dry treated versus one that's not. Uh, the one that's not dry treated could take on some 10 pounds of water um, once it gets wet. And so when you're carrying this for many miles down, you know, up and down ravines, then that can become important, you know, get, keeping the, the ropes as dry as possible. So um, decent ropes um, at a decent size, like a 200 foot rope, um, start around $200 and then go up from there. I mean, they can go as much as $600, $700 for really high tech ropes. Got it. Um, now, a group of people only need one set of ropes. You know, not everyone needs their own personal ropes. Uh-huh. Um, so that can be a cost that's absorbed by a group of people who are going together. Um, or, you know, one person who's really into it can have the ropes and then everyone else just has their sort of personal kit um, that they would use to get down them. Okay. Um, yeah, and for that stuff, you're looking at um, a harness, um, some sort of belay device or, you know, rappel device. That's the actual... Um, the descender that you're using to move your body weight down the rope. Um, a helmet. Helmets are very important. Um, you should never go into a canyon without a helmet on. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's not for falling. A lot of people think that the helmet is somehow going to protect you from falling. Um, it's actually more there to help protect you from falling rock. Um, oh. So if something were to come down the waterfall while you're repelling it, um, you wouldn't want to, you know, be knocked unconscious while you're holding your body weight on a rope. So, ah, yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you do get wet um, unless you're doing dry canyons, which there are a lot of those in like Utah and um, even a couple here in Hawaii. There's a couple dry canyons. But for the most part, you're going to be in the water um, for a good percentage of the day. So you want to have a, a wetsuit, a nice light wetsuit. Um, unless you are in a place, New Zealand's water is quite a bit colder than ours. Colorado's water is quite a bit colder than ours. Uh-huh. Um, but even in Hawaii, you know, our water is coming from up the mountain. Um, and so it can be chilly, you know, uh, 60 degrees. It only takes a couple hours in 60 degree water to really start to get chilled to the bone. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So are you um, wearing like a three mil or? Yep. So I'm lucky. I run pretty warm blooded. So I very rarely have to bust out my wetsuit. It stays in my pack most of the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just wear a vest. I have a three mil vest that I wear. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very few occasions where I know we're going to be in a really long canyon, maybe even into to nighttime when it's or into the hours of the day where the sun's not getting into the canyon to heat us up. Um, I will go up to uh, to a shorty uh, that kind of cuts off at my knees and my elbows. Um, but then my girlfriend, she'll wear um, a five mil wetsuit sometimes <laughs> uh, or she even has like an open self free diving wetsuit that she likes because it is so uh, they're much more pliable um, and, and uh, stretchy so you can maintain your movement and flexibility um, you're not as constrained uh, but she she gets cold really easily so um, she does wear thicker wetsuits yeah good you got to stay comfortable yeah and then some sort of footwear of course uh, you got to be able to protect your feet and uh, walk over rocks. And a lot of times we can't see our feet because they're underwater. Um, and so here in Hawaii, we wear something called tabbies and they actually have felt soles on them. Uh, and the felt sole acts like Velcro on mossy rocks. Um, it's night and day difference between like a r- rubber approach shoe um, or hiking boot compared to these felt soled um, 
they're essentially like a neoprene booty with a felt sole on them. Um, and yeah, they, they really do stick to the rocks, the slippery rocks really well. Huh. Okay. So, I'll definitely look it up and I'll make sure to include links to, to everything mentioned here in the show notes on experiences you should have.com. What would you suggest to people of what they would need to know before they get into the sport? Um, I think really learning what rope access safety is like. And so if you've ever been like on a zip line, uh, you know, they have these, these protocols where you have to clip into this before you unclip from that. Right. Um, and that kind of thing. And so that's something that can really only come with um, doing it, with talking with someone um, and that has the knowledge um, to do that. And so um, that stuff is, is the most important stuff. You know, everything we do, we want it to be safe. Um, and so know, ha- having someone who knows what the safety protocols are in a canyon um, are very important. That's great advice. Yep. Yep. Safety, 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 yeah. safety first. And yep. so have those safety meetings and <laughs> And make sure you've you've got some skills and knowledge just before you go uh, rappelling off a waterfall. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I love it that you can go try it out as like a tourist and and see if it's for you uh, before you really get into something major like exploratory canyoneering and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and it, there is no limit though. Once you get into it, um, there is. There are huge, huge, huge canyons that are left to be discovered. You know, people have not seen every inch of this world. Um, and it's just it's something that helps you do that a little bit. That is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I feel like just so many days we're just, we're driving to work. We're going the same road. So, you know, we think we know the area that we're in so well, but just off the bean path may be an undiscovered canyon that you can navigate down. And that is absolutely true. I um, took a friend of mine, uh, maybe six months ago. He's a helicopter pilot here. Yeah. Um, He does tours and um, he had never been canyoning before, but he flies over them every day and he points them out to people. He talks about them. um, And then one day he asked me if I was interested in, trading a helicopter flight for a a day in the canyon. So I agreed and uh, we went and did a pretty small canyon, to be honest. It wasn't um, one of our biggest ones, pretty quick and easy, a good one for a beginner, but it still took us about eight hours to get through. And there are so many huge features in this canyon. Um, These massive boulders that um, are just sat there. They almost look like somebody placed them there um, that we have to walk around little tunnels um, old train tracks that are no longer um, around on the Big Island. There, wow. there are some in the backs of these canyons. And so we did this. He got to check it out. He was totally blown away by it. He was like, that was so cool. Um, and then the next time he went and took a flight, he tried to find that canyon. And he realized it was this teeny tiny little one that he's never even noticed or looked at before. And later he was like, man, he's like, I never had thought about what it looks like inside of each one of these things I fly over. He's like, now I, my mind is blown. He's like, there's so much stuff here to see. Like if even 
any of them were even a portion of what we saw in that tiny little canyon. And some of the canyons here are massive, absolutely yeah. giant, you know, whole valleys off the side of the mountain or the island. And so, so I think, yeah, there's definitely, it's amazing how we pass by things every day. Um, and when we don't have the equipment or the know-how or even the, the thoughts to take a look, um, yeah, we just pass right by some really beautiful parts of the world. Wow. Uh, that's really inspiring. It's truly inspiring. I, I live here in Bend, Oregon and also think, some beautiful canyons there. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, I've explored a lot, but there's a lot I haven't explored. And, and just to have that mystery out there, it just ignites something to, to go out and find these crevices and find these areas that people maybe aren't at or haven't discovered yet. Yeah. You know, two of my uh, main canyoning buddies actually just moved to Bend, Oregon. Oh. I'll have to put you guys in touch, and I'm sure they'll be looking for the canyons out there pretty soon. So uh, I'm sure they can maybe show you a thing or two. You can check it out. Really? Cool. Yeah. We'll yeah. probably need a thicker wetsuit here. <laughs> I bet so. Oh, I love it. And if there's one bucket list place that you could do this, like the one place you really need to experience canyoneering for yourself, where would it be? For me, not for someone else. For you. For me. Um, I'm really interested in checking out New Zealand. I've heard so many cool things about it. Um, I think even on your podcast, I saw uh, like rappelling through the glowworm cave. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's so many places in the world you can do this, but that place does sound particularly epic. So... You need to go to New Zealand and discover mm -hmm. the glowworm caves, rappel in the glowworm cave, and go canyoneering. Mm -hmm. uh, and go to Hawaii and Utah and Colorado and Bend, Oregon, and <laughs> go canyoneering and slacklining. Oh, wait. And question about slacklining before we yeah. end this canyoneering episode. Yeah, totally. So if, if you have a slackline above a canyon – like, are you, are you roped in on that slack line? Yeah. So, um, you are, you are wearing a harness, um, the same as you would be, uh, you know, in a, in a canyoning or rock climbing. Right. Right. Um, and then we tie a leash to a ring, um, that is that the line is threaded through before we hook it up, before we rig it and tighten it. There's a, a ring is attached. Um, and then we tie into that ring. And so it basically just drags behind us as we walk, um, there are some crazy brave souls in the world that free solo high lines uh -huh. uh, without anything on. Yeah. Um, just walk free. Photos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, most for, for the most part, uh, it's a, it's a very relatively safe sport. Um, uh, once you're, once you're tied into that line, uh, you could fall every which way and, and, uh, you pretty much just bounce around and then climb back up on the line, give it another shot. Ah. This is amazing. And finally, what is the highest waterfall that you have canyoneered down? Uh, the highest one I have ever canyoneered down is um, right at 320 feet or so. Um, but amazingly enough, <laughs> it's not the highest rappel I've ever done. Okay, um, how high is that? <laughs> uh, 350 feet. I lucked out a few years ago. I got to work with some of the rigging crew. Um, to do a, a performance for a New Year's Eve show at the Sheridan in Waikiki. And so I got to rappel down the side of the Sheridan uh, overlooking Diamond Head right at sunset. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, 
But yeah, that's actually bigger than any waterfall I've propelled down. Wow. Oh my goodness. I am so excited about this. Uh, I'm going to see what they have here in Bend, Oregon. Yeah. Once you find out, let me know. I'd love to come check that place out too. Oh yeah. Super cool. You should also check out Smith Rock. There's a lot of uh, slackliners there. Yes. That's kind of like a slacklining mecca. That's definitely. I have some friends who are heading that way. um, I think right now, actually. I think they're out there right now. Oh yeah, yeah. fall like is a a good time. going on there. Oh wow, cool. Yeah, very cool. The things you learn. Uh, well, this has been absolutely great information. Uh, I love this all. I'm going to write up beautiful show notes, so please check it out cool. uh, with links to everything, as well as links to Joshua Lambis's photography because. He's an amazing photographer, one of my favorite photographers, and uh, his photos will blow your mind. Uh, if you listen, if you listen to the Blackwater episode I did a few few episodes ago, uh, uh, Jeff explained a bunch of different amazing creatures, and Joshua has incredible Blackwater photos as well as star photos and waterfall photos and shark photos, pretty much everything that's amazing in the universe. (laughs) And thank you so much for being part of the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a topic I love and I love talking about it. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Experiences You Should Have. Uh, Please leave us a review on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, check out the show notes on experiencesyoushouldhave.com. Also, if you like this episode and you want to listen about climbing, uh, check out the Via Freda climbing episode in the Dolomites. Uh, That was done with Shannon McDowell. And you can just find it wherever you listen to podcasts via Ferretta Climbing and the Dolomites. And also make sure you check out Josh's site, jlambus.com. Thanks so much.